Welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan. And with us today is Jessica Hines, a meditative writing co-host. Thank you. Hello, hello. Good morning, good morning. So uh, our guest today is Jay Hunt, uh, director of Perfect For Me, the play, uh, airing at various locations, or playing at various locations uh, till the end of July. Welcome, Jay. Hi, thank you. Thank you, thank you. So uh, why don't we start off the conversation just talking us a little bit about Perfect For Me and uh, how it developed and what's it about and all this kind of stuff. So, go ahead. Yeah, so Perfect For Me is a play by Holly Payne Strange, uh, which is the best name ever. And it's about, it, so it has four characters. The main character is a disabled woman. She has spinal muscular atrophy, and she basically is deciding whether to go through with a full body transplant where her head would be taken off of her body and transplanted onto another a court, like a, basically a recently deceased person's body. Wow. And so the play takes place in real time and it's sort of her and her brother and her best friend debating whether she should do it and weighing the pros and the cons and basically like secrets come out and they fight with each other and they make up with each other. And I'm not going to say whether she does it because uh-huh. no one will see the play. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it's sort of about, you know, the like bodily autonomy and whether disabled people like should have the right to make their own choices or whether they are living for other people. Yeah. Thematically it has to do go a little more deeper into like the themes that you were saying about ableism and, and exclusive yeah. you know, kind of the ideas about disability and such or. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it, uh, it deals a lot with sort of like internalized ableism mm. and also not just with, uh, Lizzie, the main character who is disabled, but also with, her brother and her best friend who have sort of internalized a lot of negative messaging about Lizzie. Mm. And they sort of, there are a lot of times in the play where Lizzie sort of calls them on things they're saying or things they're doing, like feeling sorry for her. And she's sort of like, you don't need to feel sorry for me. I'm making a decision that would improve my life, but I don't have a bad life right now. Yeah. And so it sort of speaks to a lot of what I do in my like disability activism work which is sort of reminding people that like disabled people are people and we have basically the same life as you. It's just different. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how like, you know, we think about visible and, and uh, invisible disabilities and yeah. such, and then understanding how we all have our, you know, things that were limits, limitations and such, and to kind of, you know, draw the harsh line, at, like physical um, disabilities and such is very limiting and, you know, to be able to understand that we all have our limits and, and, and capacities for certain things and, and all this kind of stuff and be able to be more inclusive about, you know, and, and make, creating spaces for people to be able to, uh, you know, challenge their own, their own views on these kinds of issues. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Exactly. It's like, I, I can't take stairs. I need to take the elevator and like mm. maybe someone else who doesn't identify as disabled, like has some other limitation that. Yeah. I don't have, you know, and then so what is it about me that makes this other person think that like I have the saddest life in the world, you mm, know? Yeah. So speaking, I know we were talking a little bit about feminism and the ideas of inclusive feminism as as opposed to some of the uh, kind of thematics now that are reactionary or, or exclusive, fem- uh, you know, kind of creating a, I believe the term is turf. And, and yes. Uh, and if you could tell us a little bit about what your understanding of these kind of themes are and, and where you're moving towards in your own humanism. I believe you're kind of starting to yeah. identify if you tell us a little yeah, bit about that. So yeah. So a turf is a trans exclusionary radical feminist. 
um, which is basically a feminist who believes that trans women shouldn't be included in feminism, which mm. is s- stupid and silly. Yeah. Um, and not even not silly, dangerous. Um, and so, yeah. And it actually comes up a lot more in feminism than one would think or one would hope, um, especially on a lot of like feminist websites. And I have sort of, again, I have an acquired disability. And since I acquired it, um, <laughs> that's a weird way to say that. Yeah. <laughs> since I acquired my disability, um, since I bought it, uh, <laughs> I have become sort of like a, a, as I mentioned earlier, a disability activist. And um, I've sort of, I began, I'm obviously not the first person ever to notice this. I'm not saying that like this was a huge revelation that I discovered, but that a lot of like feminism and activism is incredibly exclusive of disabled people, much like Mm. a lot of feminism is exclusive of trans women. And obviously those are two like very different issues, but there's, they sort of exist along the same lines of like very limiting definitions of like what a person is, Mm. you know? And how how do you understand what a person is, or just more broadly, like what what is your what is your human? Uh, can you expand a little bit more on how you would define? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I just think I think a lot of activism thinks of a person as like a straight, white, able bodied cisgender mm. man or woman. Yeah. You know, when really there are like so many people who don't fit into any of those categories. And it's very it's very subtle. I think it's not even like. If you go up to someone who believes that or whatever, they may not be so loud about it, but it's just the subtle assumptions that are present there. You know, would you say just about, I I think because this is something that comes up a lot, actually, with my screenwriters where, you know, we have someone reading a script and, you know, there's like character descriptions and there's this unconscious thing where, you know, I was like, unfortunately, if you say a character, it is a straight, cis, white man. Like yeah. that is what are anyone reading doesn't matter who you are. This is an unconscious bias that exists for the majority of I'll just say Americans yeah. is that if you say a character enters, that's what everyone the, the inner eye, because that's what we've been shown through our art, through our media the most <clears throat> like that is dominated is that a person are the first thought, the first unconscious image that comes to most people's minds is a straight, cis, white, middle-class male, which is makes sense because that's the narrative that most mm. of, you know, our culture is told through. And, you know, part of what I like doing is working with writers who very subtly or not are hoping to use popular entertainment to disrupt that and kind of combat that unconscious bias yeah. in even, like, any character in the piece, any secondary character, and just... You know, because I just really do believe that, especially with TV and film, which people are consuming so much of that these, you know, these small changes where the piece doesn't have to be about, you know, feminism, but it can be a feminist piece. And the fact that it is conscious of like including, you know, you know, characters that are are not that and and just and having training the younger generation's mind to think more of like an inclusive human rather than straight white middle-class cisgender male. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, I do think that's a good point about training the younger generation. Cause I think already that's sort of like, I think it's, I mean, I personally hope that it's sort of like working a little bit. Cause I know that I know some young people 
like one or two. Um, and all of the like people I'm in my twenties and all the people younger than me who I know are already sort of like a little bit moving past that bias mm-hmm. and already like, I, I know a lot of young playwrights and a lot of young like theater artists who are working to challenge that. So I'm glad that it seems to be working that like, not like the generation below me because the generation below me is in high school, but like, and I don't know anyone in high school, but um, that like people younger than us are starting to like get the right idea. Yeah. Uh, one of my writers, he has a, I think he has a, like a seven year old child and he was like, he's like, I was trying to explain what gay meant to her. And, and I, and he's just, and I was just like, and I was like, oh yeah. And she's like, and she was like, she really confused that there was a word for like when one person of one likes another person, but she couldn't understand why there wasn't a word for like a blonde who likes another blonde, <laughs> you know? And yeah. just, and I just, yeah. I, it was great. I, I wrote a whole, <laughs> you know, short film about it. Cause I was just like, oh my gosh, like this That's is great, like yeah. how cool that like that mind in, and obviously in a very diverse, you know, Brooklyn neighborhood, you know, that absolutely helps. And this person's in the arts, so it, it's diverse already. But I was I was so excited that I was like, wow, like there is like that if we keep working and we keep moving forward, we keep, you know, doing this, that there could be, you know, a generation that just like has a cleaner, you know, un, unconscious biases than, you know, and I, I hope that it's gotten better, you know, mm. with every generation. But that, yeah. that gave me so I got so excited that I was like. Well, maybe like, maybe I'm not just screaming into an empty <laughs> void. Maybe there is yeah. it. Maybe there is some, like how amazing that, you know, I just I just get excited about what might be able to happen like politically. And, you know, I, I'm like, I just can't wait to be like old and feel like such a asshole about all of the things that I am accidentally people, you know, because like the world has gotten better, even yeah. though I feel like yeah. it's harder the older you get to like be aware and and change those, you know, it's like trying to convince God, having a conversation about, you know, uh, a uh, gender identity with my father was just like, Hey, uh, yeah. But it seems like, I feel like a lot of these movements have happened before, like, you know, in the sixties and prior to that, even all the time we're going through ebbs and flows of like, you know, movements towards the progressive and movements, you know, counter movements that reactionary movements that push back backlash or the reactionary movements and how we're able to, and we think about it in terms of like each generation is becoming more and more, um, I don't know, enlightened or whatever the word you might want to use is, and becoming more and more open minded. But then we always have that back backwash that comes back and kind of reactionary. Yeah. And how we're able to, you know, at least on an individual level, how we're able to open our own minds and our own restrictions about our own perceptions about gender, our own perceptions about um, whatever it is, you know, all these kinds of issues that come up. But speaking of gender, like focusing on gender now, um, how at least in the in the broader conversation, we have, uh, you know, all these different um, identifications and, and how that has expanded my own understanding of gender. You know, I had this customer come in in the library and was kind of suddenly like it, it said the sign on the bathroom said uh, all genders welcome. But he took issue with that saying there are only two genders, although all I think all genders doesn't really specify just, you know, it could be both genders, but he seemed to suddenly be like, uh, that sign's wrong. There was only two genders. So I just amazing how, and he was an older gentleman, but it's amazing how people come very, um, you know, kind of aggressively, you know, they have to feel like they feel the need to defend and, and all this kind of thing. But 
speaking on queer and non-binary, uh, what is your understanding? Of how, how what is your take on that? Or uh, to Jay? I mean, yeah. like <clears throat> to <laughs> it's so that old guy. It's so funny. Um, I just I think it's I think it's funny when like older people get really upset about yeah. that kind of thing because I'm like, how does it affect you? Yeah, in any way? Yeah, it's supposed to be right or by the well, dictionary or I don't know what it is. You want it to be established yeah. scientifically speaking, well, you know? Well, I think I, I was thinking a lot about this, and I I think that I think it feels like there something's being taken away from them. I think mm. that I think that's the problem with including mm. others is that you know like. You know, just like when you feel like you've this space in front of you and then someone else comes in with something, I think it's almost like this, this like psychic unconscious, like, oh, but if there's more, if there's inclusiveness, then that's somehow taking mm. away something yeah. from me. Yeah. And I, I haven't really found a great way to, to speak about it, but I was watching like this guy on the train, you know, who was just, just taking up a shit ton of space. Uh. And it was like, he thought around him there was space but he didn't see that like five people on the other side of him was like you know Cramped someone in, switched yeah. against the wall and it was very uh, much like straight white men and it went it was like a perfect painting of like <laughs> yeah i was just like all the way down to i was like there's just like a trans woman with a baby uh, you know you're just like <laughs> yeah. yes like that is what it but i i do think it feels like that even though it has nothing to because that's why i'm like this has nothing to like this doesn't yeah. really yeah. affect you in a way like you know who you are that's cool you know but I do think that un- it just feels like I feel like in their unconscious mind or in their hearts, they just feel like, well, if that's true, then that's taking up more space. And if there's taking up more space, that means there's less space for me. Uh, and one of the most reactionary parts of the human mind is aversion to loss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm like, that makes sense. It, I mean, if that's what's going on emotionally, that makes sense, even though logically it's asinine. Totally. Yeah. I just want to say, like, also, I think also in, in addition to perhaps uh, a loss of power or whatever it is, I think that's also rooted in the need to be right. You know, I think that, yeah. for example, one story that um, ha- that happened, not to me, but um, when my sister went to college, uh, I was still in high school. And I remember she had told me or she related a story in which uh, there was a sign in Bryn Mawr, You know, she went to Bryn Mawr, uh-huh. which is a pretty liberal sister's college or whatever. And there was a sign, they were talking, they use the word uh, women, but they use it with a Y. Yeah. W-O-M-Y-N. And she, uh, apparently in some spark of inspiration, she went to grammatically correct it. You should put a little sign and she put out E, you know, or whatever it is. And she thought it was funny. But, uh, you know, it reacted, people reacted poorly to it. And I remember that because I was like, it was just interesting to me because, you know, she was just, you know, in college where she felt the need to, like, correct grammar or whatever it is. And she thought it was funny. But, like, it's amazing how, you know, broadly speaking, how people feel like they want to be right or they want to be, you know, they, they feel like they're, they've been taught uh, certain things, whether it be grammar, whether it be, uh, you know, about gender or about they've been taught certain things at a young age. And they feel like that's the truth. That's the ultimate truth. And that's yeah. the way it is. And when people have different views or, or contradictory views, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I have to feel the need to you know, bring them back to the baseline that I established. But, you know, uh, I don't know. What do you think? The need to be right or the need to have a truth, one truth for everyone? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I talk to my mom a lot in general and also about, like, social issues. Mm. And she she's, like, a very progressive, very, like, she's, like, a great person and a great mom. Yeah. But she 
she is like obviously always still learning as all people are. Yeah. And she talks a lot about how she's sort of like something, something that I learned from her that I had never really thought about was like, I don't fault people who for like for wanting to be right or for wanting to for like reacting to change if they just don't know, Mm. you know, like I don't fault if someone is like upset, uh, like the guy with the all gender sign, if he's upset. And then if like, if say I, I were to explain to him, like actually, you know, scientifically it's been proven that gender is a construct and like biological sex is really sort of like on the edge of going out of fashion. Mm. Um, And like, and then he's like, oh, I didn't know that. Or he's like trying to understand yeah. that. I don't mm-hmm. fault someone for like having a reaction. Mm. But if it's someone who, like you're saying, just like needs to be completely right and need, mm. and it's like, nope, nothing but what I say is the correct answer. Mm. That's where I start to fault people because there's a lot of people and like even like I've been guilty of this sometimes who like want to have the right reaction or say the right thing or do the right thing, but just don't know. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I feel like constantly I'm back being like, oh, crap, I, you know, like, and yeah. I think it's a closed mindset versus open mindset thing where, mm. you know, like it boggles me when people like, because sometimes I hear people being like, oh, well, it's just like, you know, well, I'm so used to doing this, you know, and I've had people, especially with using, you know, they, them, theirs, where I've been quite annoyed with some people who are just like, oh, well, that's just how I was taught that that's grammatically incorrect. And I was like. Well, I knew someone who thought the capital of California was San Francisco until I told them it was Sacramento. <laughs> and they didn't keep saying the capital of California was San Francisco. I'm like, we, you know, Pluto used to be a planet or I don't even know if it's back a planet again. I don't know. But I'm like, mm. like things change and I yeah. just find yeah. it. And so like, I don't, I think in some things like the capital of a state, they would be fine. They would yeah. be like, so, so I'm just like, what is it about? There must be, I think it's about fear because I think the capital of a state doesn't question, like, make them question, like, themselves. And I think that there's probably this fear of just, like, you know, oh, if that's, if there's not two genders, then what else could possibly be dismantled in, in, like, the the first eight years of your life, what you learn about human beings is because I think most of us were so so clearly, like, you know, this, this, and this. And, and I don't know, I just, I, when I look in people's faces, cause I get really curious about microfacial expressions when people are talk complaining about having, you know, to, to change pronouns. <laughs> um, cause I'm always just like fascinating. Um, mm. uh, and there's fear. There's mm. almost always fear. It's yeah. like, it's almost, and, and on, I think it's more of like this, it's really deep and almost like existential. And, and, and that makes me at least feel like, there's something in that that, you know, I would be really interested if if anyone has if anyone wants to write in and let me know of any studies. Uh, um, yeah. Being comfortable with the changing flows is so important. It's such a vi- vi- vital skill. And people that being comfortable with uncomfortable, you know, uncomfortableness yeah. and, and being able to go with the flow and be able to see that things change. We don't think about, as you were saying, you know, now for some reason I've got this song, the Constantinople song from uh they might be giants stuck in my head. You know, we can't go oh, back to Constantinople. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, things change, the state, the capitals change, and all this kind of thing. And we're not like clinging on to the past that, oh, it's still, you know, this or whatever. We just appreciate how things change and how, um, you know, life moves on, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I, I found that some, like, sometimes, 
like older people tend to sometimes go in the opposite direction and mm. be like, yes. Like I one time I was at a theater to see a show and they had changed the bathroom signs to be to say like all genders. Yeah. Um, but everyone there were there were only like two bathrooms yeah. and everyone remembered which one mm-hmm. was which. So all the women were in line for the one that used to be the women's room and all the men were in line for the one that used to be the men's room. And there wasn't a line for the one that used to be the men's room. So I was like, well, I'm just going to use the one where there's no line. And I started to go in and a bunch of old women in line were like, you go, girl. Oh, yeah. And I was like, what That's is funny. happening? And I yeah. went in and I used it. And then I came back out and they were like, that's so great. Like, I wish I could be more like that. That's so like, that's so freeing. And I was like, well, that bathroom's open and there's no one in it. So like, you can be more like that. Uh-huh. And so it's sort of like, there's, there's sort of like a, I've found, and that's not the only time that's happened that someone has like old people have older people have been like, <laughs> have been like really like proud of me for like disc deconstructing the gender binary by like uh. wearing like, traditionally male clothing or like Uh, not having long hair and they'll be like yes that good for you and i'm uh, like yeah it's just because i'm a person (laughs) and this is how i feel comfortable yeah but but then it's like if i was to ever be like and you can do it too they're like oh no yeah no not not me yeah i think that we have the uh kind of these uh prisons in our own mind about what we can and can't do and you know these these constraints uh constraints um you know, we constrict ourselves to saying, oh, you know, this this is the way, I, th-, you know, we kind of put ourselves in a box. We say, like, this is the only thing that's allowed for me. And then we were constantly in a struggle the rest of our lives. You, why is this always the case? Why is it always the case? And, you know, why, why, why am I always restricted this way? But really, it's a mental restriction that we're just putting ourselves. If we were just to, you know, um, understand the basis of that constriction, you know, then we'd understand, you know, how to liberate ourselves or how to free ourselves from those those constraints you know yeah yeah well i think it's you know kind of riffing off of that i'm just i was like i was like what is it about you know like because sometimes i feel like condescended mm. to when people you know are just yeah. like yeah. you know um they say that kind of thing or they kind of and, and i think you? the thing that <clears throat> excuse me i think the thing that annoys me is just you know it's not an i just think there's a lot of people who think who will say like oh i'm a feminist or i'm live i you know and they define themselves in their minds and maybe even in some of their words, but not in their actions. Mm. And, you know, and so I think that's something where it's like, oh, like I can get all the benefits of being like an open-minded, inclusive person by congratulating someone else. Yeah. Mm. But actually changing nothing of my behavior in my own life. And I just think that, you know, something I struggle with that I'm always looking for every day is I'm like, it's, you know, is like, am I actually taking the actions and living my life in a way that is true to the beliefs that I will throw around, you know, Mm -hmm. over drinks with my friends, like when it comes to things like the environment, when it comes to inclusivity, when it comes, you know, and I think, I mean, I know that there's times where I'm probably not where I'm, you know, I, I, you know, I think that's a very human thing. But I think that that's what I think bothers me about that story is it feels like people who think that, they want all the benefit of being something without necessarily taking the action. I think those are the, those are the ways that you make yourself feel better Yeah, mm. and totally. able to go to sleep at night thinking, you know, cause like I helped someone write this script about, um, um, about, you know, uh, uh the, the garbage, uh, Island trash Island, oh, yeah. you know, and about recycling and all this stuff. 
And I was feeling really good about myself. And then I was looking down at my trash bag filled Mm. with mess, you know, and I was just like, wow, it's so easy to, it's so easy to get caught up in your idea of who you are and not actually follow through on that. Yeah. We always moving from certain assumptions and we need to take the time. We need to give ourselves the space and the time to be able to really interrogate those assumptions and be able to really plant trees for the future, you know, be able to plant those seeds of, you know, and it's mostly for ourselves, as I was saying, you know, to, um, you know, free ourselves from these, these uh, restraints we're putting on ourselves and, and being able to free ourselves and free ourselves from the, and really the, these um, limitations are like, you know, restricting us and they're, they're preventing us from really ultimately being happy and being more, more in tune with our environment, being more tuned with human beings, that there's infinite number of living beings around us and they're all kind of. Uh, in this ocean, you know, and we're just kind of, we want to be able, we're just one person or one being. We want to be able to be more in tune with that environment. There's just going to be more disharmony and discord. But uh, one thing I want to talk about is a little bit of, um, you know, equality, equity, and these different issues around surrounding, you know, kind of now feminism seems to be, uh, the tagline seems to be that, um, you know, we're, that feminists are looking for equal rights and all this kind of thing. But thinking about equity and and what that means to you, Jay, and what, um, and how we understand equality versus equity and all those kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of problems with like modern day, mm. like white feminism, quote unquote. Um, but the main one really is that I think people are, are looking for like women to have equal rights to men, mm. which is like, first of all, not enough. Mm. Um, be based just based on like, the fact that women and men are not the only two categories of oppression. Uh, and I think, I think f- like feminism, if you want to define yourself as a feminist, you have to also align yourself with like f- combating racism and cis sexism and transphobia and ableism. Obviously mm. that's my big thing. Um, and classism, which I mm-hmm. hadn't even thought about until you just said middle class yeah, I coming, yeah. coming from the white trash America is like, you know, <laughs> there's just a lot of stuff. You, I'm like, I'm like, we've got a class system. People. Yeah, like we really, really do. And yeah. you know, like even just like, yeah, it's, there's so many things to take into consideration. Yeah, that like that's like something that people don't even think about. Where it's like, I'm not mad at people for not thinking about it because I'm yeah. like, I'm sure. You know, there's plenty of things where I'm like, oh, shit, yeah, I didn't think about stare. You know what I mean? That it's just not in my mind. But, you know, or even like within feminism, you know, a lot of my friends are are sex workers. And there's so, you know, and there's a lot of people who claim to be strong feminists and like really don't understand what sex work is and are very angry and exclusive, like, and are just like, we'll just go up and be like, you're you know, you shouldn't be part of this. Like yeah. and you're making things worse. Mm. And without having any understanding, without being curious at all about the type of work, what they actually do, but just putting it in their mind that, oh, sex work is bad. And the only people that go into sex work are people who are, you know, like, abused as children and have, you know, and it's just you know, it's having some really close friends that are some of the most incredible human beings that I've ever met who are, in the industry as adults who chose to enter, who, you know, the work they do is therapeutic. It is amazing. Yeah. And, you know, but again, most people don't know someone who's 
or that they probably do. They just don't know that. They're. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a problem that people feel like when you feel so unsafe doing something that almost everyone has had some sort of interaction with that. But like, I mean, it's 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 just something where I yeah, I just I'm just like how but how how do we get to a place where we can where we can include everything? I mean, like yeah. I'm at a kind of like a crap i feel like every day i'm discovering something that i'm you know i could be better at yeah yeah Yeah, me too i feel like i feel like constantly i'm just like oh right i didn't think about that oh right i didn't think about that like literally every moment of my life um which is difficult but i also think i think sort of like any progress is good progress at a certain point um and like ultimately as much as i wish that sort of like the feminism that's at the front of pop culture, as much as I wish that it was more inclusive of everyone. I think that if it stands as like a building block for more progress on behalf of everyone, I think that's a good thing. Mm. I just don't know. I worry that it won't like, you know, broad city mm-hmm. two white women. Um, I would love to see like, them using their power which they do they they use their like influence to lift up women of color and trans women they don't do anything for disabled women noted abby and alana um, <laughs> but i i would love to see more like shows building on like the success of broad city that aren't two white women mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um it has a lot to do with the representation and such and giving chances to writers who are outside of that spectrum totally. So yeah. then we have that perspective included and we have, and, it's, and for me, it's like, um, it has to do with the, the actual background scenes, you know, the, the representation within the, the writers, within the uh, cast, within all these kinds of stuff, be able to, to get more people at the table so that then they can really totally. get a clear, clearly inclusive um, setup. Yeah. yeah, especially in TV, uh, which is, you know, most of the writers that I work with are are in the TV world and it is, you know, it is very, it is very white. It is very straight and it is, is very male. Um, mm-hmm. And it is something where I'm like, until I'm like, I think we have to go to the source, which mm-hmm. is that like, I'm like, we need, I mean, and showrunners especially like we need just so few, you know, people who are showrunners are anything other than, than, you know, white men. Um, but I think it also goes back to like the educators, you know, cause every mm. I'm working with, you know, I mean, I've worked with thousands of writers and I, as one shaping their approach to writing or helping them with their craft and their scripts. And I'm like, I have such an ability to influence, you know, the, those things and to like help them understand. And, and when I even look in the world of, of education for mm-hmm. screenwriting, it is the straightest, whitest, malest, you know, thing in the world where I'm just like, like, I'm the diversity hire. Mm. I am the diversity hire <laughs> on like a screenwriting panel, which is which is great. You know, I'm like, OK, you know, um, like, that's cool. But like, it's just like I'm sitting here. I'm like, what I was like, surely there must be someone who is not white that you could bring in. Surely there is someone, you know, like, like, can we just get. Like, they're just like, oh, well, she's got a vagina and she's queer. Great. That takes <laughs> care of everything. And I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, it's getting better with women. But I do think especially with people of color, but like also like people of disabilities, like, people, you know, ageism in the industry is mm. horrifically mm-hmm. rampant. 
Um, and so, yeah, like, you know, the shows that like have the ability to reach out, like, you know, like, well, I think that's a big question, which is, is it a responsibility of the art of the entertain or let's call it entertainment because yeah. TV for the most part is entertainment. Do you feel like it is, there's a moral responsibility within the film and television world to do that? Cause I bet there are people out there be like, listen, this is just entertainment. Like it's not our job to educate. It's not our job, you know? And you know, I'm yeah. just, I'm interested in people's opinions of like, if you're, you know, for if, if you're an artist who got in because you want to just like, entertain people rather than like i want to go in and do art and cause revolutions yeah. do you think that's okay anymore yeah i mean well i think i i i think i just my brain just shorts are good <laughs> yeah. for a second. it's like ugh. um i i think two things simultaneously i think first of all i think it's equally valid to just want to entertain as it is to want to make art, especially, especially right now. Cause I think just like mindless entertainment is sort of desperately needed right now. At least for me, I, I know that like it's, there's so much to take on right now that sometimes I just need to take 20 minutes. And sometimes like, I just, I need to watch the bachelor, you know, <laughs> I need to, <laughs> Yeah, I just I have to just like turn my brain off and watch a bunch of like handsome men talking to a handsome woman, you know, um, and I so I think that's equally as valid as wanting to make like serious art. Like I th I th I do think the Bachelorette is equally as important as when they see us. Mm -hmm. Um, but simultaneously, I think in the entertainment like that entertainment category, I do think there's still a responsibility to create an inclusive environment because I think that entertainment, even mindless entertainment still impacts culture in a big way. Honestly, even more often mm -hmm. more so than like the art that mm -hmm. we make, mm. which is like a whole other thing, but you know, um, and so I think, you know, something like, always be my maybe which is which is like a great movie but it's mindless entertainment yes mm. um but ali wong is one of my favorites me too yeah <laughs> she's so great um uh now i'm just thinking about ali wong and how much <laughs> i love her um so but always be always be my maybe it tr it's 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 entertainment it's mm -hmm. not art um i mean like that distinction is obviously up for interpretation, but it's it's not like quote it's not quote unquote like high art. Mm -hmm. It's a rom com, but it still is like huge because of the representation in it. Mm. Yeah. Same with Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. Mm. Again, not like quote unquote high art, but one of the highest grossing movies of last year, the highest grossing mm -hmm. Asian led movie, and and it totally like opened people's eyes. And like woke up white people to the fact that like Asian people have lives and are not just one dimensional characters, mm -hmm. you know, like I think I guess my theory, I mean, because like I do think that the most base popular entertainment that is consumed the most, I don't I'm not putting this on anyone else, but I personally believe that, yes, I have a moral obligation to like because that's like the Trojan horse of getting to America yeah. is mm. is the the more widely watched it is the more and that. 
even if you're not going to be pushing an issue that you can do no harm. I think there's a way to just like, totally. there's like, do no harm. And then there's like, I'm going to make a statement. And I think that, and I think that is actually inclusiveness because inclusiveness to me is not saying like, you need to suddenly go out like waving the rainbow flag and like marching for gay rights. I'm like, you just have to like, not be a dick. Yeah. You know, like just be like, just hold space for everyone so that like, if you do like something like The Bachelor, like, can we just go through and be like, can we just do a check to make sure we're not kind of accidentally like screwing over or saying something really horrific about a certain group of people? Like that should be, there should be someone at those studios on those sets. Like they have people who are watching for like, um, you know, continuity. Continuity. Yeah. They should have just like a social Mm-hmm. continuity should, person yeah. Yeah. of inclusiveness just to go through and, and be like hey just to let you know if we could just do this instead of this yeah you know totally. it'll be a little bit more inclusive but like they does but it can still be mindless entertainment that isn't hurting the unconscious biases of a certain group yeah. of people which is i do believe mostly coming just out of ignorance because most mm. of the people running these things are stress cis straight middle class or upper class you know white dudes and and they've never had to think of it from any other perspective because their narrative is America's narrative. Right. Whereas someone outside of that space, like I speak middle class white straight dude because that's what was taught to me. That's the narrative that I was given in this world. We all do. But I also speak woman and I also speak non-binary and also speak queer. And, you know, that's something where I'm like, I'm going to be able to spot those things better than a straight white dude just because yeah. I speak more of those yeah. languages yeah. and you know but yeah because like I also <laughs> love you know mindless entertainment shows like I you know I fall asleep to the Great British Bake Off sure, you know what yeah. I mean because it just soothes me um but but I do get angry when I see that because like I haven't really watched The Bachelor so I can't but I'm pretty sure it's probably doing a little bit of harm <laughs> well yeah. okay I mean well I could talk about that for like an hour and a half but Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, I would just say that, again, it has to do with the, for me, it has to do with the background people because, you know, and the diversity and the and the ability for them to be able to understand and, and have diverse life experience at the very least, um, you know, and be able to understand where people are coming from, be able to understand. So then it's not like a force thing where it's like, you know, you have, oh, now we have to put a diverse character in. Right. You know, it's not something artificial. It should come out organically where we have, like, you know, naturally, we live in a, in a world where uh, many different people, many different backgrounds exist, and it should come out organically. It shouldn't be forced. And when you have like people from restricted or, or limited backgrounds, uh, kind of in the in the writing and the directing seats, then their their perspective is very limited. And we want we don't want it to be like, oh, now we'll put an Asian character in because you know we have to checklist the well, the, the thing list. you know yeah, yeah. yeah the need, token list yeah token yeah exactly exactly but I yeah. think it is getting to the people in power and just like you know just allowing people of different perspectives more yeah. opportunities to create popular entertainment um and again I think that goes back to the reason why that's not happening is because it feels like it's taking away from the right. people who are the yeah. majority, you know, like I've, you know, there's some guys who are like, oh, well, you know, you know, it's like a playwright, like, oh, well now it's just like, it, someone said to me, they're just like, oh my God, you're going to get so many more gigs because you're queer. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> and they're like, and I just, that there really is this belief that like, you know, that, that it's, I think 
that they feel like something's being taken away from them by yeah. being more inclusive. Yeah. And I'm like, no one's taking anything away. You know, like this. Yeah. yeah also- I, I know a lot of uh, straight white male actors who are like, there's no roles for me anymore. Oh and I'm uh-huh. like, really? Uh-huh. Have you tried going to see all my sons what? on Broadway? What? I was yeah. like, did have you gone to Broadway? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Have you gone to see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child? Uh-huh. Which I haven't, but yeah, um, yeah that's a little pricey. Yeah. Yeah. Which I have not seen, but I know is all white guys. Yeah. But I was going to say also it has to do with uh, the category, how we understand these categories. For example, I'm just going to relate a story quickly about um, an interaction I had with a African-American teenager, a black teenager who came up to me and was telling me, asking me about my background and was interested to know a little bit about me, and I was helping him find a book and such. And uh, I really, though, my parents from India, I was born here. And he was like, oh, you don't you don't seem Indian, or you don't strike me as Indian. Hmm. And I was like, oh, I was born here all my life, and, you know, I lived here, and, you know, I, I draw from my culture or whatever. But then he says something like, well, you seem just like a white dude, you know? <laughs> like, And it's just amazing. I was like, oh, interesting. But I, mm-hmm. I didn't say anything in response. But it's interesting how, you know, people's perceptions of what it means to be Indian, what it means to be white, what it means to be any category, you know, they have a whole load of assumptions. Yeah. And then he's like, you don't seem to fit into what I understand being Indian to mean, which is very ethnic or very, you know, he's exposed to, you know, highly, you know, specific about uh, whatever it is. You know, the point is that he fall into the category of like, oh, what I consider a white guy, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to me how we have certain assumptions and, and stereotypical assumptions about what it means to be in certain categories and, yeah. and being able to speak and be able to understand or have, uh, you know, yeah, well, I, I think that's why, you know, diversity is really important and just being exposed to different mm. people who look who are just different from you so yeah. that you don't have one idea of what an Indian person yeah. is yeah. like or one idea of what, you know, uh, a poor person, you know, so, sorry, that was wrong. A lower class person. I hate the class. Uh, yeah. no language. It <laughs> fails me so yeah. often. But just having one idea and and. And since there are people who grow up in these pockets where it's not very diverse, um, that's why, again, I think that art and entertainment is so important because most of those people are at least watching television. And if the representation on television is that an Indian man looks and sounds and (laughs) acts like this, it is a very specific thin category. There's not a lot of, you know, I mean, like. I, I'm even failing to come up with any <laughs> examples yeah. of of Indian men, you know, um, in popular culture. And, and you know, that's why, yeah, I'm like, even like the silliest TV show, I'm just like, can we realize that I do think we have a responsibility of just saying, hey, millions of people are going to watch this. And especially if it's comedy, they're going to watch it over and over and over again. Yeah. They might mm. watch it multiple times. Can we at first at least do no harm? Mm. Um, and can we, maybe in the past, like it's was accepted before, but you know, can we just moving forward, make sure, cause like I watched some things from like 15 years ago, honestly, even some things from five years ago, just right before the me too movement. And I'm yeah. like, holy crap, this could mm-hmm. never get made today. Mm. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And so I, I don't know, I just, but it's, it's great that it was that interaction that yeah. like, that's one more person out there that now is just like their mind is just tweaked a little bit better yeah. to be, yeah. you know, cause I think we've all had that. I mean, I grew up in, an, it was, you know, mostly it was either you were white or you were Mexican. That was it. That was everyone in my hometown. 
And so I remember coming to New York, like I'd never met a Jewish person. Mm. We were all Mormon and, and, and Catholic in my neighborhood. And, you know, so being in New York City was such an education for me of just being able to understand people and yeah. see people as humans rather than as, oh, an Indian guy. Yeah. 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 There's a review. Uh, so right now, Shakespeare in the Park is doing much to do about nothing. And it's an all black cast. And there's a review that's sort of circulating by Jesse Green, who is one of the critics for the Times, um, who is just he's really something. Um, and he says in the review, he's like, in this much ado about nothing, they're not playing white characters. <laughs> they're playing black characters because they like sing Marvin Gaye and they dance. And it's sort of like, well. First of all, the reviewing staff on the at the Times is all white guys. There's one white woman, but she doesn't get to do like a lot. Um, and it's sort of like it's it's always just sort of amazing to me how obtuse sort of like mainstream reviews can be, mm-hmm. because I think that's something we haven't sort of touched on is like people who review the work as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, definitely because, gatekeepers that help people bring totally. people into the work. Yeah. And, I, you I, know, I, people can't watch everything. So they rely on reviews. Yeah. To, yeah. I think, you know? I, I think I totally blocked out that theater critics exist. Um, yeah. <laughs> because to me, I'm just like, uh, um, but no, you're absolutely right. I think especially the times, I mean, I used to work in marketing for Broadway and yeah. we'd have opening night and we'd have a 9 a.m. meeting the next morning and we'd be like, what is what do these two reviews say? And if they were bad, they would close the show. Yeah. Because mm. they're like not even give it a chance. Yeah. Because, you know, you could you know, this was before I think we had as much Internet stuff going on with reviews, you know, uh, right. places where you could actually get oh. peer reviews, which is much better now. Yeah, which I love. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think that is a huge problem. And I do think that, you know, that, you know. The Times should be ashamed if that's like the only people that they have, because like that's just unfair. That's going to completely that could kill a show that could be really, really important that, you know, thousands and hundreds of thousands of people might go and see or not see just because they didn't, you know, check their biases before yeah. they reviewed the mm. show, which you can do. Yeah. By the way, if anyone's listening, you want to, there are implicit biases tests that you can do. <laughs> yeah. that. And then if you realize that you are exhibiting an unconscious bias towards a certain group of people, you can do, you know, research. Like, let's say it's, you know, for, you know, women in the sciences. If you just spend 20 minutes uh, mm. reading up on the current women who are the leaders yeah. in the scientific field, you can unwrite that unconscious bias yeah. at least for a little bit of time. And so perhaps... Wildly easy. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like it's yeah. called learning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we do it all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, so that yeah, such an important plus the bias and my understanding of it has grown since I did a day training about it, and um, just being able to understand that this is kind of the foundation for you know uh, larger sociological problems that you know, and being able to attack it in our own life and be able to deconstruct our, you know, construct that so that we're able to understand it in a very compassionate, self-caring way, not in a way that, you know, is very jarring, but in a way that's kind of, you know, at least in the beginning, you know, we should be able to uh, look, examine ourselves in a way that's non-confrontational, just having compassion for ourselves that we all have some form of unconscious bias. And, uh, you know, just being able to look at it and, and uh, understand it is the first step. 
towards you know larger yeah. processes. But I do also want to give Jay a chance to talk a little bit about uh, you. You wrote uh, "Illnesses Metaphor" is really interesting to me. This book yes. by Susan Sontag. Tell us a little about that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. So I've been rereading "Illnesses Metaphor" by Susan Sontag um, for another project that I'm working on, and she sort of talks about. It's it's a lot about um, AIDS and the way people use AIDS and other illnesses as a metaphor for like suffering and sort of thinking about how illness can be used in other ways um, because she was dealing with illness as she wrote it and thinking about how thinking about how um, when you a lot of the time I mean the way this is not like exactly what she says but the way I interpret it is a lot of the times. A lot of the time when there's like a disabled or a, or a sick person in a piece of art or a piece of entertainment, they're a metaphor for like something terrible mm. or something. They're like the representation of some horrible thing that has happened. Yeah. And it's looking for ways that you can include disabled people or sick people or both um, in in ways to sort of represent their community as opposed to representing just like isn't the world so horrible sometimes to mm. these poor people? Um, and it's things like, you know, uh, there's like this kid, there, his name is Cody Lee, I think, and he's on America's Got Talent. And he's blind and autistic, I believe. And he uh, is a singer and he like played his song on America's Got Talent and they loved it. And he like got sent to the next round. And but like the narrative around him on the show is like he's triumphing over autism through song and he's like triumphing over his blindness through music and like hooray for us giving this like poor disabled boy a chance as opposed to just like here's this kid who has like a beautiful voice and he got to the next level, mm. you know? Yeah. And so it's things like that where when disabled and ill people are included in the, in the narrative, it's often as representative of how terrible the world can be. Yeah. I also want to say that I think that as we start to understand that people are coming from different perspectives and circumstances, that we're telling their stories, we're telling, coming from an organic place of having to reveal their truth, we understand that as the viewer, as listener, as the participant or the um, consumer of this products, that we understand that you know ultimately there's something universal about uh, the human experience that we can get down to that deep level, but also the more specific things are, yeah. the more specific and more um, unique they are, the more we get to the idea that I can understand and resonate with that, um, that we're, it's not that, you know, people think that, oh, well, this is about a person in this specific category, you know, but actually we understand that the more specific to those circumstances, we can get more to the universal, actually. It's, it's kind of a, it's a, you know, it's kind of a um, reversal of what might seem conventionally true. That you know, uh, oh, I need to watch something with watch something with someone with my category in order to understand their truth. But actually, sometimes you know, many times, all the time, when we understand, we watch consume media about people of uh, different backgrounds that are very specific to their truth. We're able to get to more of a resonance, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so think like it's you know, it's like this showcase. I'm like, listen, everyone, everyone has things that have made their life easier and everything have everyone has things that has made their life harder. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And like, you know, a lot of my things are things you can't see, you know, 
Well, sometimes you can see my bipolar because uh, uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> if you're a close friend of mine, you're like, Jessica, I have seen that and it is terrifying. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, you know, and, and like there's but everyone's got everyone's got their shit and like there shouldn't be this competitive suffering. You know, I think it's just like, you know, everyone's had to overcome something to get where they are and to do and, and also just like, you know, the arts are hard to sit down and like to write even when you don't want to write and to sing, even if you're like tired that, you know, hopefully we will get to a place where those parts of us are not held up as, you know, as like bastions or or the single narrative of that person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So in the background, we're playing a song as we go out. Uh, We have three more minutes, but I'll be playing a song by uh, comfort cat who I I went to an open mic actually on uh, Saturday or something in Staten Island. I, I was able to hear her, uh, hear them perform. Um, so uh, we'll be playing in the background as I do some announcements and we go out. So it's called uh, the NPC. Uh, so we'll be listening a little bit to that as I go out. Um, so let's see. I think I have the. Uh, one second. Uh, I think it's. Uh... Anyway, uh, Ready for Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Uh, we are a um, free and open platform to our community. We provide a free and open platform to our community to provide uh, media literacy and uh, education and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So to help support our mission, we invite you to make a one-time donation or monthly pledge at readyforbrooklyn.org slash donate. Um, I guess I'll... I think it's coming out. Uh. Oh, yeah, good, good. So, um, also, uh, Ready for Brooklyn announces that they'll be launching an after school program with local teenagers this year. So, they media literacy and media me- making through hands on approach guided by local professionals. Please join us uh, at readyforbrooklyn.org slash after school. And remember that all donations are tax deductible. So, um, and also, Jay, do you have any announcements you want to make or something you want oh, to yeah. people to listen to? So, Perfect for Me is running for the rest of the month. Uh, you can go to artery.ic to look for it. You can also go to um, tinyurl.com forward slash perfect for me. I made that. Uh, and I have a podcast called One More Thing on iTunes, which premieres its new season on July 1st. Uh, it's about LGBTQ plus pop culture. My co-host would be very mad if I did not mention <laughs> that that's coming out on the first. So you're welcome, Robert, for mentioning that. Uh, I think that's it. That's all, all right. I, that's my only thing. Thank you for joining us. And as always, anyone who's interested in, I don't know, listening to more of my crazy stories and possibly learning how to write a screenplay or use meditation and neuroscience to create a healthy artistic uh, relationship with the unconscious can find me at meditativewriting.org. Cool, cool. So the show Truth to Power show airs every Monday at 8 a.m. We rebroadcast on Thursdays at 9 a.m. And you can find our archives at readyforbrooklyn.org slash truth to power. Uh, please listen to the past, uh, whatever, 76 or so episodes. And uh, definitely tune in uh, every Monday at 8 uh, if you want like to be a guest, please write to Truth Power Show at RadyForBrooklyn.org or Truth Power Show at gmail.com. Sorry. I was like <laughs> completely spaced out there. 
But anyway, uh, we're listening to Comfortcast, the NPC, uh, as we go out. Um, I think that's about it. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. With much left to do for a white night I can see you die.